Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everybody, and welcome in to Commanding the Huddle. I am your host, Ryan Fowler from the Draft Network. And today, before we get in to today's episode, where I kind of want to talk a little bit of a smorgasbord for you guys, as far as a little bit of the draft, guys that Washington has had in for top 30 visits. Now, to my knowledge, they've only had two guys in for top 30 visits so far early in this process. Now, we still have a month to go until the draft, but with all the pre-star, pre all-star events over with and showcases and pro days wrapping up a little bit here. Now, there's still a lot to be had and a lot to be done, but I want to take you guys into a little bit of the prospect profiles for especially the two individuals that Washington has had in and top 30 visits, which means something. You can Zoom with whoever you want to. You can have informal meetings with individuals, but when they have players in on visits, whether it is a top 30 or whether they're meeting for lunch, they do private workouts, Those meetings mean something more than just a call or a Zoom or an informal down, whether it be at the Shrine Bowl or the Senior Bowl, because then you have your formal meetings. And if you guys are kind of unfamiliar with all of those terms and everything, the formals at the Combine specifically are moments where you can have 20 minutes upwards of it with a prospect informals you spend about five to seven minutes with guys there's certain limits and how many guys you can come in and have with those set formal meetings but now with just a month away from the draft you're getting guys in the building that you've watched on tape for some scouting staffs for multiple years they're not just watching the jameer gibbs and the anthony richardson's and the dewan jones and paris jo- paris johnson's of the world just this year These guys are scouting him in 2021, 2020, years prior. They're talking to high school coaches. They're talking to collegiate coaches, separate trainers, to get everything on these certain individuals as who they are when they don't have the helmet on. Are they leaders in the locker room? Are they lazy? Are they high-character guys? We know that Ron Rivera, Martin Mayhew, Marty Herney, like guys, not just good football players, but guys come in a locker room full of grown men that won't be sitting in the corner, right, by themselves. Guys that can lead. Not just with their play, but with their voice and a voice to rally around. But before I kind of switch over into that, I wanted to talk a little bit about a topic that I haven't really gotten too deep into with you guys since having this podcast about since about a year ago. And that is the logistical operational side of things with Washington from the ownership side of things. And I just want to provide a little context and a background for you guys that are unfamiliar with my background. I used to work for the team when they were the Washington Redskins. Uh, And I worked under Larry Michael, the former VP of content, former radio voice for for Washington for a long, long time. And I'm sure you guys have heard of the name. I was started out in PR under Tony Wiley, a longtime member of that staff. Then I switched over to working for Redskins.com as a content creator, analyst, writer, kind of everything under the content umbrella I did for Washington during my time there a couple years ago. And the reason why I tried to stay away so much from the ownership talk and that side of things with Dan Snyder 
is because of my background and the man that used to sign my checks. So that's why you guys haven't heard me talk too much about ownership, potential buyers, that sort of thing. But with where we are now, I feel like it's obviously relevant and a good time to talk about that type, that sort of thing with today, sitting here on Tuesday, March 28th, with two official bids officially submitted to Dan Snyder and the ownership group for the Washington Commanders and the ownership of this franchise for the selling price of Dan Snyder set it at $6 billion. Josh Harris and the Mitchell Rails group that also includes headlining name and Irvin Magic Johnson, $6 billion on the table for Dan Snyder. And then just minutes ago, Canadian billionaire who's been linked to the team for a while, Steve Apostopoulos, has submitted a fully funded $6 billion offer to the tables, table as well, reported by ESPN's Adam Schefter. So this is obviously now, there's not just a little bit of steam, a little bit, a couple flames, a couple smoke, you know, a little bit of smoke on the fire. We got a big burning bonfire right now. Something is expected to change here in the near future. And if you guys kind of go back to our podcasts in August, September, we talked about ownership. And what I was hearing out of the building was a potential sale of the team around the owners meetings, which are this week in Arizona. And that timeline aligns with what now that we're hearing with these two now fully funded offers on the table for the franchise. And I'm not going to get into all the numbers and analytics and all this different stuff behind the scenes of ownership sale and this and that. The bottom line, folks, is with this franchise, a change is needed. And it's long overdue. And it's something that we've talked about for a long time. As far as nothing will change between the hashes until it ever changes in the owner's box. Because a well-run organization doesn't just start with the head coach down. It starts at the top. You look at all the successful franchises over the last 10 to 20 years specifically in the NFL, and they're headlined by the New England Patriots and the Kansas City Chiefs. And it starts at the top. Now, I get it. New England's had a ton of controversy as well. Kansas City has just done their thing, right? They found their one-of-one alien-like quarterback in Patrick Mahomes, and everything has worked out smoothly for them in the last five to seven years. But when you look at Washington and the history of this franchise before Snyder bought the team, before the turn of the millennium, it was historic. It was prestigious. The burgundy and gold meant something, not just within the walls of Ashburn and inside the walls of RFK Stadium or FedEx Field. It meant something around the league. You didn't want to see Washington on your schedule. Now, in hindsight, ladies and gentlemen, I wasn't even alive for the heydays of Washington. Joe Gibbs, right? I was there a second stint. I was born in 96. So my entire life, a generation, I'm sure a lot of you out there, similar age, maybe a little older, a little younger, has been around with mediocrity and below average football and just an operation that has not lived up to standard. 
But when things change at the top and a potential group to get in the building that will change things, whether it's a new stadium, heck, we don't even know if the commander's name is going to stick. For me personally, I could care less about what the team name is. It's a team name. I'm glad that the burgundy and gold colors are still there. It's my favorite color scheme in any sport. I don't care if you're looking at the NHL, NBA, soccer. I don't care. Burgundy and gold is super unique. I love that. And I love that that tradition is still in the uniforms and everything that involves with the Washington franchise. But whether they're the Commanders, the Wolves, the Warriors, the Armada, whatever. Football, at the end of the day, is what matters. And how the organization is run at the top and allowing the individuals at the top for the people below them and the football staff to do football things. And that is what the issue has been for so long, especially in the mid-2000s with Vinny Serrato, and then you go into Scott McLuhan and the Jay Gruden regime and everybody, the Jim Zorns of the world, Steve Spurrier. I mean, it's just, ladies and gentlemen, you understand where I'm coming from. But the bottom line now is that something is in the weeds that will happen sooner rather than later because it looks like there is going to be new ownership of the Washington Commanders moving into 2023. Something may happen before the draft is what was reported. I have not heard much out of the building on the logistical side of things. Again, from the ownership group. Again, I try to stay a little bit away from that due to my background. I hope you guys understand that. But now with different faces, this provides a different glimmer of hope and a banner of optimism for things changing from the top of the top, tippity top of the penthouse, all the way down to the basement. Things have had to change for a while, and they are. We got a lot of talent on the football team, specifically from the 53-man roster that may line up in week one come September. A lot of talent on either side of the ball with expected brand new, young, sparkling new toy under center and Sam Howell starting. We know the guys on the outside. We know the guys on defense, headlined by that front four. Eric Bieniemy, sparkling, fresh new coordinator in the building, coming over from the Kansas City Chiefs, with Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. He Now, he doesn't have a Patrick Mahomes in the building, but you guys understand the excitement from a 10,000-foot view. Jack Del Rio is back. Did a heck of a job with the defense last year. He did a fine job and deserves to be back in 2023. Are there questions still with Ron Rivera? Of course. 500 to sub-500 campaigns, not going to do it, especially with the talent in the building. 2023 could be a make-it-or-break-it year. His his seat is as hot as ever. Has to succeed. Bottom line this year. Bottom line. But from the top down, When you look at all the organizations across football, that's where it starts. And for Washington, with the news that came out today, and it's come out over the last few days in Arizona with owners' meetings underway, and the last few months, the things that we've heard in the years past, not just one, two, three years, but five years, 10 years, 15 years, back to 1999, things have just had to change. And it's been constant 
crap behind the scenes to where you just had to be a horse with blinders on to try to focus on football. And unfortunately, it was tough to do that. But as we move into 2023 and a fresh new start and a breath of fresh air into the lungs of the franchise, if you will, with a new ownership group, whether that be Josh Harris and the Mitchell Rails group with Magic Johnson or with Apostopoulos as the guy that could be the owner of this team or someone else unnamed as of now. This just provides a breath of fresh air into an organization that has needed one for a long time. So from there, I want to get into the two guys that Washington has had in for top 30 visits. This means something. Guys coming into Ashburn, it means something. And I want to start off with UCLA guard Antonio Maffi. I tweeted it out last week from my Twitter account. If you don't follow me already, underscore Ryan Fowler. I'm tweeting out not just stuff for Washington, but for every single team across the league, what I'm hearing from execs, agents, scouts, personnel from across the league, who they're having in, separate workouts, meetings, Zoom calls, all of that stuff. Guys are attending certain local pro days. I will have all that stuff tweeting out on my Twitter account. Again, underscore Ryan Fowler if you don't follow me there already. But the first guy is UCLA guard Antonio Maffi. And he was someone that was is a really fun prospect because he's not going to go most likely in the top 100 picks. He is someone that is, in my book, an early fourth rounder that has a lot of juice within the interior at a guard spot to where it still remains up in the air what Washington wants to do at guard. Because you brought in Nick Gates and you brought in Andrew Wiley and you still have guys like you drafted in Chris Paul and Tyler Larson is back. Andrew Norwell's there. Sadiq Charles is there. You guys know my thoughts on Sadiq Charles. Still trying to make it work there, I guess, from the reports even we heard today as far as with Sadiq and Chris Paul battling it out at guard, potentially moving into this year. I really hope, ladies and gentlemen, that is not the case because that is not putting your young quarterback and young running backs in the backfield, especially Brian Robinson moving into year two, in the best position to win. You got to get guys along the front five that can succeed both in the run game and when they're asked to drop their hips and pass pro and sink those cleats into the ground. And I look at Antonio at UCLA. There's two guards at UCLA, really, both of them that I like. It's him and John Gaines, another guy that's going to go on day three. But that's sort of a whole other conversation. But with Antonio now in the building in Washington, there's interest there. And he can play either left guard or right guard, that, that versatile position that Wes Schweitzer offers, right? And a little bit what Nick Gates does with that center guard versatility, more on the right side of the line. But with Antonio, he is someone that is can be physically overpowering within the interior. And you look at him from the hips down and his ability to explode out of his stance in the run game and win the leverage battle from the start of the snap. If you're a lineman, you have to win with your hands first within the breastplate of the defensive lineman in front of you. Whether you're facing a guy head up on you, whether you're facing a one tech, if you're a left guard, he's on your right shoulder, or you're facing a three tech, to your outside shoulder if you're a left guard and right guard to your outside shoulder as a, to your right shoulder. This is a situation to where you have to win with your hands moving into the higher levels of football. And if you don't, you expose your chest, whether a guy's bull rushing, whether he wants to club you, whether he wants to swim you, spin around you. You have to have good hands and a quick twitchy lower half to be able to counter these guys. Again, whether you're in the run and asked to displace a guy three yards off the line of scrimmage 
or sitting that butt down in pass pro and holstering a guy that's 305 pounds. You have to be able to do that because you look at Antonio coming in potentially to Washington's offensive line and you look around the guys in the NFC East, whether it's Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams of the Giants, you got a guy like Neville Gallimore with Dallas and they may add some pieces along that defensive front this year in the draft. Or you look at a guy, or guys obviously in Philadelphia, big Jordan Davis, if he can stay on the field for more than 10 snaps a game, it seems like they got to work on his stamina. That's something that was an issue coming out of Georgia, but I expect him to be better in year two for that Philly front seven. Javon Hargrave is now gone, but they got Milton Williams. They got Marlon Tuapolotu. They have a lot of guys along that interior. Fletcher Cox is back. Big boys, they understand how to succeed within the interior. And you look at Mafi and his ability to succeed at UCLA within an offense that did a lot of different things with quarterback Dorian Thompson-Robinson and running back Zach Charbonnet to where they'd be under center, they'd be in shotgun, a lot of different things. He can pull or you want to run gap, you want to run power and just run downhill. He can do that too. So Antonio Mafi, again, guard from UCLA, was in for a top 30 visit last week. I'm excited about his future and a really good kid as well. And then the second guy is linebacker DeMarvian Overshone from Texas. And what's interesting about DeMarvian is, first off, when you turn on the Texas tape, it will not be hard to find him. He is the guy with seemingly 10 little armbands on each arm for the Longhorns at that second level. But he was the leader of that Longhorn defense. And it brings the lens in a little bit to this Washington linebacker position to where I don't know really what the future is for Washington at the second level because Cole Holcomb is gone. Jamin Davis, Cody Barton are expected to be the two guys that start. But David Mayo, Khalid Hudson, Nathan Gary, all these guys are expected to have some type of role, if you will. Now, they don't all have to be here come week one. I, I really don't see Nathan Gary fitting in. But we know this this regime likes Khalid Hudson. They know they obviously like David Mayo and the snaps that he's provided over the last few years. And they like Cody Barton. He's a guy that had a heck of a year for Seattle last year, filling in at that second level with some injuries. Had a heck, he had a heck of a year. Now he's going to get more of an opportunity working at the second level where whether Washington runs to use him a lot in coverage or just use him on primary early downs and be able to fit in the run and buzz sideline to sideline because he can do that. And he did that with Seattle and he did that in college at Utah. But you look at DeMarvian, and he's someone that has a little bit of a hybrid build to him. And I look at his ability in the run game, his ability to fill down, fill downhill, and then his ability to drop his hips in coverage and cover tight ends and cover running backs. But he has a little bit of a throwback style game. And the fact to where nowadays you want guys at the second level that are able to consistently be able to flip and cover, whether it is a running back or whether it's a tight end down the seam whether you're covering a John Bates type or you're covering a Darren Waller type because the linebackers in Washington this year are going to have to cover Darren Waller twice at least this year with him now with the New York Giants. And while Washington obviously uses that Buffalo nickel roll we talk about all the time, Derek Forrest is going to come down, Percy Butler is going to get some more reps. We'll see what they do with a guy like Khalid Hudson. Obviously, Jeremy Reeves deserves snaps, but that's a lot of names in the safety room, guys that can do different things at both the second and third level. But when you look at DeMarvian and what he offers, it's a former safety turned linebacker. So those coverage instincts are already ingrained into his skill set as a football player. Got a little bit of a thin frame, but not afraid to blow your chin strap off. 
And I think those are types of guys, when you look back to the history of Washington, to where they've always had that type of athlete. And I think Derek Forrest is that guy in the, in the, in the roof of the defense right now. Obviously, you look back to Sean Taylor. But I think even look at a guy like DJ Swearinger a couple of years ago. Someone that had not the smoothest in coverage, not the fastest guy, most athletic on the back end, and not going to be a Hall of Famer by any means, but someone that had that fear. You put that fear in you when you're going across the middle of the field or you're trying to make a play in the outer portions of the, of the defense as a runner or you're taking a screenplay and that safety's buzzing downhill or you're trying to create over the top and he can rise over you and get a play in the football. DeMarvian has that versatility, again, as a former safety and then playing in the Big 12 at Texas to where he is, again, not the biggest guy in the world. About 6'3", 230 pounds. That is the modern-day linebacker. We don't see the Brian Urlachers, the Zach Thomases, really the London Fletchers of the world to where you're 250, 55 pounds at linebacker. That's just not how the mold, if you will, of the linebackers in today's day and age is. It's about 230, 35 pounds max. That can do everything at every level for you. And then you ask Marvian to stick his face in as a blitzer, not just sprinting off of John Allen's hip or lining outside as a wide nine rusher if they want to offer some unique looks outside of Chase Young, him, him aligned as five tech. DeMarvian can do that as well. Not Again, just not sprinting downhill, but actually have an approach as a pass rusher. And I saw that a lot at Texas. And I think this is a good fit. I, I do like the fit here. And the interest, sometimes you hear of guys with certain interest with teams and you're kind of a little bit shocked. You raise your eyebrows a little bit like, What's the interest here? Why? Or what is the scheme fit? Don't just look at a guy's name or where he played or what's the potential, what you're seeing in mock drafts. Look at the guy's skill set and the defense, specifically here with DeMarvian, what Jack Del Rio wants to do with his defense is getting athletes at every level. Your front four, your linebackers, and your secondary. Athletes, athletes, athletes. And if it's any sign... Look at how Martin Mayhew is drafted over the last few years. He constantly gets guys in the building that are tier high-tier athletes, whether it's a Sam Cosme out of Texas or it's a Percy Butler out of Louisiana Lafayette or it's Jamin Davis out of Kentucky. You're constantly getting athletes. And for DeMarvian, again, started out as a safety, played linebacker at Texas, can do a lot of different things. For me, as far as some concerns, I think his, look at his ability to stack and shed when guards come up to the second level. Again, that kind of relates back to his thinner frame, if you will. It's just getting more strength. I think Chad Englehart and the strength staff in Washington does a great job with getting guys functionally ready with their strength and from going from the Big 12 to the NFL, which is obviously a jump no matter what conference you're in. I don't care if he was coming out of the SEC. But he's someone that those little things, mechanically, fundamentally, getting off blocks at the second level, again, against offensive linemen, he can work on. I want to see him be a little bit more sure, that isn't even a word, as a tackler. I want to see him be able to, you're in space, you got to make one-on-one tackles. We're in a day and age where offensive players have that twitch, have that burst, can make you miss in space. Offensive players feel embarrassed when you're tackled one-on-one in open space, especially against a linebacker. You got a guy like this, those fundamentally sound guys in space, the Fred Warners in San Francisco, the Matt Milanos in Buffalo, just these elite second-level defenders. I want to see him work a little bit on that, especially in the outer areas of the offense to where if he's man-to-man excuse me, on a quick running back like Kenny Gainwell or Saquon Barkley in space on a little quick 
pass out of the backfield in the flat areas of the defense, he's able to take him down. Not 20 yards downfield where he's chasing him and he's able to clip his ankles. He's taking him down maybe at the line of scrimmage, behind the line of scrimmage, or a yard or two, be able to come down, chop those feet, and make a play. And I think DeMarvian has the potential to do that. Just some small little tinkers in his game. So again, Antonio Maffi, guard from UCLA, has been in the building. DeMarvian overshone, linebacker, a little bit of a hybrid defender from Texas, has been in the building as well last week. I'm sure there'll be many more visits to come. Again, any visits that I hear of from inside the building, I will share on my Twitter. Again, underscore Ryan Fowler if you don't follow me already. That's going to do it for today's episode. I will have an episode out for you guys early next week. Topic remains to be seen. You guys have to tune in to check it out. So always appreciate your time. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple Podcast. If you guys enjoyed, please leave a like, review, share, and subscribe. All my written work is housed at thedraftnetwork.com, including more audio and video content on our social, including YouTube, Instagram. You guys can check that out. Folks, we're just a month away about from the NFL draft. And lots of stuff, obviously, it's never a quiet day in commander's country, right? We got the ownership stuff going on, building the roster. We got owners meetings going on, NFL draft, players visiting. We got free agency still in full swing. Lots of stuff going on, lots of news. And it's never a boring day again for the Burgundy and Gold. Always appreciate you guys tuning in. I'll talk to you next week. I am Ryan Fowler from the Draft Network, and this is Commanding the Huddle. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.